SMQBs. This is episode 42. Yes, we do the usual. We pick on the Eagles. We talk about our Paul Krause takeaways from week 12 of the NFL. We show how bad we are at picking teams in the Plaxico locks. We talk college football, a punchable face, and a Ted Lasso. But this episode, my friends, is special because of a great guest that we had Jerry Bembry from the Undefeated Let Us Do a Conversation about race, sports, and the Rooney Rule. This is really a great episode. SMQBs, this is episode 42. Before we get into uh, number 42, Toby, I just have a quick question. Did the Eagles score yet? Oh, come on, man. <laughs> it took let's, a... fo- let's focus on no. number 42 today. Uh, that's no fun. No. Yeah. Did did the Eagles score more points than Harper averaged uh, uh, hits in a game? I think if you're trying to congratulate Bryce Harper, it's a nice way, nice way of doing it. We're not going to talk about the Eagles this week. Oh yeah, we yeah, are. We'll, we'll <laughs> Sean McCoy we'll wants to talk about the Eagles. He wants to talk about Jalen. <laughs> We're going to leave him alone, but um, because this is actually a, a special episode, uh, it's it's episode forty-two for the SMQBs, and and we come on here, and you know we we sort of stay light and have fun on this podcast because that's what sports is, and uh, we talk and, and have a good time with professional leagues and uh and everything but you know sometimes even the pros the colleges the local high school sports even um you know they're not just always there for entertainment and and for us joking with each other and busting each other's chops over it um they do often offer a sort of a, a window into the psyche of the country um and i know people look at sports as a distraction and and for even us, when we come on here, a lot of times we just want to laugh and have a good time and, and, and do that. But there are times uh, where sports are a little more serious, that they require a little bit more heft, a little bit more care in how we talk about them. Uh, and this is episode 42. Those of you who listen know that we often lead in and talk about uh, a great athlete who had a certain number. So, you know, number 41 uh, we'll tee it up and fail and usually goes out there ahead of time and tries to do some research to guess it and get it right when everybody else sits there and, and does it. But, but this week with 42, it's pretty obvious uh, that it only had to be Jackie Robinson. There, there's no question that uh, we wanted to talk about Jackie Robinson. We have a, a treat today for everyone. But before we get to that, I just want to play a, a quick little clip uh, to set this up, set the scene for us here. And let's see. Jackie Robinson. It was back about 1950, maybe 51, not more, more than that. And Jackie, who had received other threatening letters, apparently received one that was deadly serious and impressed the authorities. We were in Cincinnati for a weekend series to play at Crosley Field. The letter intimated the deed would be done on Sunday. Sunday morning when the team was in the bus going to the dressing room, it was pretty quiet. And in the dressing room, it was very quiet. 
this was the most serious pregame atmosphere probably in the game. Everyone was worried. And it was very quiet. And the Dodgers had a young left fielder by the name of Gene Hermansky. And Gene was colorful, bright, blonde, white, and full of you know what. And with this quiet atmosphere in the clubhouse, Gene suddenly said, I've got it. And everybody looked and they said, what? He said, we'll all wear number 42 and they'll never know which one is Jackie Robinson. <laughs> now that seemed funny at the day. In 1997, Jackie's number was retired. And in 2004, Gene Hermansky's words from 1950 came to fruition. We'll all wear number 42. So tonight, when the Dodgers in Arizona line up on the foul lines, they'll be wearing 42. And all across the country, in every major league ballpark, every player, will be wearing 42. And what does the 42 mean? It doesn't mean that they're all equal, not in the respect. Some are taller than others. Some are heavier than others. Some are left-handed. Some are right-handed. But the one thing they share in carrying number 42 is the fact that the man who wore it gave them the one thing that no one at the time could ever have done. He gave them equality and he gave them opportunity those were the two things that many of those people never had to hold of their hearts when they first began to play so yes 42 is a great number it means a lot for a great man but it is a tremendous number when you think of the man who wore it with such dignity with such pride and with such great discipline and wasn't it sweet and he had Rachel on his arm. Love you, Rachel. Thank you. Mike, you want to take it from here? Yeah, uh, we have an awesome guest tonight. I am so excited to introduce my friend, my Ohio Wesleyan cl classmate, and a distinguished journalist and journalism professor, Jerry Bembry. Welcome, welcome to our podcast, Jerry. It's awesome hey. to have you, man. Hey, good to see you, Mike. Thanks for having me, guys. I, I love that clip from Vince Scully. I, I really enjoy it when they have Jackie Robinson Day and everybody's wearing that 42 jersey. And let's say happy birthday to Vince Scully. Today is 94 years old. Wow. Yeah. One of the wow. best in the business. Of what happy, birthday, happy birthday, Vince. Let, let me yeah. just brag on you for a minute, Jerry. Soon after we got out of college uh, in a pretty, pretty tough job market, Jerry, with like a few months of experience work, working for a small newspaper, landed a big time job at the Baltimore Sun, which back then was a major, major international paper. Um, it's being gutted right now by a hedge fund, right? Yeah, <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, and then went on to ESPN, where he was an NBA analyst. He wrote for ESPN, the magazine, uh, reported for SportsCenter and Outside the Lines. And now... Uh, Jerry is a senior uh, person at the Undefeated, which is a website owned by ESPN that describes itself as the premier platform for exploring the intersections of race, sports, and culture. I love the Undefeated, but I'm not sure everybody knows about it. Tell us, tell us about the Undefeated, Jerry. Yeah, we we launched in um, 2016, and and um, you know we 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 try to 
touch on some stories that that maybe ESPN um, doesn't. We just bring a, a different perspective, and um, you know it's been it's been a great place. So you know, check out our content at theundefeated.com. I I cover a little bit of everything. I cover golf. I cover tennis. I cover NBA, college basketball. Uh, when I was at the magazine, I was strictly an NBA guy, but here I can cover a little bit of everything, and uh, and I really enjoy the variety of, of stories that I get a chance to do. You know, right now I'm doing a TV piece for ESPN. Then I'll be writing an NBA story this week and then an NFL story next week. So uh, it's just really a, a big variety and I, and I really enjoy it. Great, man. Um, we have occasionally uh, ventured into discussions on our podcast, you know, sort of the same kind of, kind of concept, the intersection of race, um, culture and sports and indeed, I think you probably listened to this one early on our, uh, when we covered the Rooney Rule one episode, and we uh, all read your article about Stump Mitchell before that episode and found it to be really interesting. Um, and then when we came up with this idea of, you know, we need to honor Jackie Robinson and and by doing so, maybe look at diversity in the front office of major sports. We thought, who better than, you know, the guy who kind of educated us with his article to invite. And so we, we were thrilled to have you on here. Um, you, you know that a few weeks ago, Ken Williams, uh, the executive VP of the White Sox, kind of reopened the discussion in Major League Baseball by showing up at the GM's meeting and saying, hey, imagine you're, these, this is all reversed and you, and you're a white guy standing up here looking out at a sea of black GMs and executives. And you've been, you've been told for the last 25 years, this is going to change and it hasn't, how would you feel? And, um, you know, in light of that, we wanted to maybe revisit the Rooney rule, talk about what what's happening in major sports. I mean, I think, I think there's at least, 13 guys who are going to lose their jobs in the NFL offseason, including three from the Giants, the GM, the coach, and their second offensive coordinator. And, you know, is there any, is there any expectation that things are going to change? Are we looking at the same old, same old? What do you think? And, what, you know, and what's I, the solution? What is the solution? Yeah, that's uh, the solution uh, is easier said than done. You know, you look back at, uh, the year 2002, and there were two black head coaches, Tony Dungy and Herm Edwards. And you look back um, at, to the start of the season this year, and, and there were three. Uh, and then you count, you know, two other non-white coaches, Ron Rivera and, 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 and the Jets coach. And um, it, it's a huge problem. You know, the, the Rooney rule is in place to have ownership, interview a person of color for every open position. But an interview doesn't get you a job, obviously. And it, it, we haven't made a lot of progress in that area. And, you know, Vince Scully, you know, spoke about, you know, equality and opportunity. Um, I, I think that there have been people who have gotten opportunities over the years, but not enough. But in, in terms of the equality, I think that particularly in the NFL, I, I think you have a lot of old ownership. And the old ownership has an old set of ways and, you know, let's face it, uh, you know, people are going to tend, they tend to hire people that they're comfortable with. And if you have a entirely white ownership base, um, then you probably are going to lean in that area. And it takes someone that just has a lot of guts 
um, to really step outside the box and do something different. And, uh, you know, hopefully the NFL can get this thing right. I think the NBA has done a better job. I think uh, of the hires in offseason last year in the NBA, more than half went to black coaches, uh, which is great. Uh, but the NFL has a long way to go. You know, Major League Baseball, you can see why the numbers tend to be one way because there isn't a large percentage of black players in, in baseball. Um, and so that's why, you know, 20% of the head coaches uh, are black in that. But but still, I mean, that's better than what the NFL does. You know, the NFL is 13%, where 74% of players are, are of color. So, yeah, a, a lot needs to be changed. And I just think that it's going to come with a change in leadership and you bring some some younger people in who are a little bit more open-minded, a little bit more progressive, and that that's when the real change will happen. You uh, you wrote about a group that was looking to um, bring a team, a Black-owned team, to <clears throat> Oakland. What's what's come of that? Yeah, and not much. You know, it's uh, that was always going to be a, a long shot uh, for them. Uh, you know, they 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 don't have the built-in money that you need. You know, no one within that group is a billionaire, and right. it seems like that's where you that's what you need to have that one individual with all of that backing. And there are also competing factions in the Oakland area as well that made it uh, a long shot for them. Um, but, you know, give them credit for throwing their hat in the ring. And, um, you know, they they had a very viable plan where they were going to build a stadium and they were going to build an entertainment district. And that's what you want to see in these metropolitan areas, especially in the Oakland area with the old stadium is at. And um, it, it was just a long shot from the start, though. So I think it was very ambitious on their part. And um, uh, it's not going to happen there. Well, you know, one would think that these owners would be more interested in winning um, than being comfortable. And I, for the life of me, I don't understand Eric Bieniemy. What? Yeah. I mean, why? Why is Eric Bieniemy not a head coach? Which eleven interviews? You know, and, and we have this conversation about Eric every single year, whether it's on the NFL level or uh, whether it's on a college level. And, you know, he's always at the head of the list of as one of the most qualified people, uh, but he never gets that shot. And that I'll, I'll never understand. When I wrote about Stump Mitchell, you know, he was resigned to the fact that he was going to be a career assistant coach. And I, I think the trend in the NFL is that, you know, when they hire a, a, a black coach, it's usually someone who's a little older than when they take a chance with them. Uh, whereas with other coaches, you might get them in their early 30s, you know, someone who is up and coming and mm -hmm. and you get more of a rope to deal with because uh, Jim Caldwell had back to back nine and seven seasons in Detroit and, you know, took them to the playoffs with no pro bowlers, which is unheard of in the NFL. Right. And they fired a guy and his replacement. I mean, if you saw the game last week, you know, and, and just the embarrassing moves that the Detroit Lions make on the football oh, field oh. and you wonder why that guy is still in place. So, uh, you know, I, I thought Jim Caldwell got a raw deal. Um, you know, he didn't have the most talented team in the world, but they did the best with what they had. And unfortunately it cost him his job. So, um, the figures show that when a black coach is fired, um, it's it's hard for them to resurface. Whereas, well, sorry, go ahead. Whereas with with other coaches, you know, you might get another job um, in in a year or two. Right. With black coaches is more difficult when you get fired. Toby will tell you that the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, um, the, the 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 that Deuce Staley 
owned that yes. locker room. The players wanted him. You know, most people in the organization loved him. And, um, you know, it's, I think you're right. It was like, he's a young guy and just, they just blew it by passing him over for the Siriano guy who nobody even heard of. Well, that, that's the thing that I find the most frustrating in this conversation is that if you're like Jerry says, if you're going to go for experience, maybe you've got an alibi, but if you're taking a chance you're taking a chance on Dan Campbell. You're taking a chance on Nick Sirianni. Now, these are two teams where Deuce Daly has connections to. Deuce could have been the head coach of the Detroit Lions. Instead, they gave him second fiddle as the assistant head coach and the running backs coach. He did own that locker room and has an incredible – he would have been such a fan favorite as a head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. And you have two white coaches making boneheaded decisions – that is not resulting in winning while, you know, Deuce Daly is again, you know, the bridesmaid. Jerry, my, my, my question though, is why is the NBA succeeding? If, if, if the NFL is more than half black and, and if the NBA is more than half black, what is it about the NBA that has white ownership choosing to have black head coaches and the NFL won't do it? I think one, the ownership is younger. Uh, you got guys like Mark Cuban who are in there who's willing to take a chance. Um, I, I think the 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 commissioner, um, Adam Silver now, David Stern before, uh, they realized the makeup of their team, that the, of their league. They realized the importance of keeping the players happy. I think the players in the NBA have uh, a, a, a probably uh, a level of uh, input than any other league. And I, I think that that's a big influence and, and, and they're not afraid to in the NBA and particularly this year when they made the offseason hires, um, there were eight coaching uh, openings before the season started and seven went to black coaches. And, you know, it was it was some guys like Chauncey Billups, who's a veteran guy and Jason Kidd, who's been around. But then there's also a guy like Wes Unsell Jr., who and the guy on the Celtics, been, too. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and Wes has been an assistant for 16 years in the league. Uh, before he got this opportunity, you know, West didn't play major division one basketball. He wasn't known for his basketball skills. He, you know, he went to John Hopkins University and went writing the coaching after that. And I'm sure his dad was a coach, but uh, he had to rise through the ranks to get to where he is today. And I thought that was a gutsy move by the Wizards who stuck with Scott Brooks for so long uh, to go with West Huntsell Jr. And they're competitive this year. So um, I think just the NBA, it's, it's a more progressive ownership in that league. And I think they're more willing to take chances in the NBA because it's easier to put, you know, the the, the NFL guys obscured by helmets. And, you know, I mean, we know that there's 73% black, but we don't really see or connect with them. In the NBA, you're sitting courtside, you're right on the floor, and you have a connection with these guys. And, and uh, you know, the social media of the NBA is through the roof and there's a popularity there. And, and they realize the ownership, the, the league, that – you know, you want to keep these fans happy. You want to keep the players happy. And I think they make the moves uh, right now with the coaches are to really uh, to do that. Right. Go ahead. Jerry, 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 the, um, uh, Jerry, I think you hit right on uh, head on the nail when you say that it's the leadership because, you know, Roger Goodell serves at the pleasure of an all white male ownership group, you know, and, and he's not going to do something that would potentially put him uh, in harm's way. Whereas Adam Silver, when Donald Sterling from the Clippers 
was in trouble for the hot water for those racist remarks. On his own, he basically stripped him of his ownership without even a vote by the Board of Governors because that's just the kind of leader he is and set by example. You know, my coach at the time, Rick Carlisle, who's now, you know, with the with Indiana again, with the Mavs at the time, in 2018, you know, the the players came to him and they said, we want to have some kind of equality for coaching. And so they created uh, that group that has been real instrumental in developing the future leadership. And that's why we see seven out of eight new black head coaches. You mentioned, um, you know, Adam Silver and the situation with uh, the, the Clippers. And, um, you know, it, it's it's a case where it was near a mutiny going on with that team and the players about to walk off the court. And if I'm not mistaken, that was during the postseason, I believe. So mm-hmm. we were playoffs. on the yeah. verge of losing some playoff games. And that's how much power the players had. And, you know, the power comes with uh, these players having guaranteed contracts. NFL if you had any inkling of a player saying, you know, or players organizing a walkout, especially during the postseason with so much money involved, their contract can be removed from the team. You know, there's, there's no guaranteed deals in NFL. I mean, you know, you might have the, the signing bonus money up there. You, you might sign an eight-year deal and they can get rid of you in a year. So um, there are no certainties with the NFL. So in that situation, the players lack power. And uh, I just think that what, you know, Adam realizes that the, the power of the players had and, um, and he acted accordingly. Gary, the, the head coaches and the GMs, those get all the all the headlines, of course. They're the, you know, the top jobs. How do the leagues do? How are they all doing down the ranks as far as other coaches, uh, assistant GMs, that sort of thing? Is there is there progress being made there and there's all of a sudden a, a glass ceiling or is it? Is this uh, institution-wide in, in these leagues? Yeah, I think that the progress is being made in the NBA. And I think that that's the league that, uh, you know, everybody should try to emulate. But you look at, uh, you know, um, you have some NFL assistant coaches who are black and, and you know, it's these position coaches like Stump Mitchell, um, you know, that that's important to relate to the players on that level. But uh, I think the NFL, the front office is still a challenge. And even in the WNBA, uh, I think that they can change. And, you know, that's not a league that is as big and powerful as other leagues, but, you know, they, they can do better there as well. So, um, I, again, I mentioned baseball early, and it's going to be more difficult uh, because the, the percentage of black players, uh, you know, when I was a kid, maybe in, back in the early 70s, you know, you may have had uh, black players maybe reaching 20% close to that. And uh, the numbers are really low now. So, uh, you don't have as big a pool to pull from in terms of uh, getting the, the the front office positions and uh, the coaching positions, but um, but they do they have a better percentage. I think the NFL is the the, the the league that just lags behind everybody else, and I think that's because the ownership base is older and they're just not progressive people. Jerry, Jerry, how how much of this is you know? I come I'm from Tampa, obviously we. The Bucks have two African American coordinators, offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich and and Todd Bowles. Um, and you know, I love to see what someone like Deion Sanders is doing at Jackson State. Like, guy does not need to go coach, but he's doing it. It's certainly not about money. Um, he just wants to go and teach kids. But how much of this stigma in the NFL, and we're talking about a league that's seventy four percent African American prevents these players from even 
wanting to get into coaching in the first place to go yeah. and then become coordinators and become head coaches. Yeah, Patrick, I think that's a good point. Um, you know, you 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 kind of see what's happened during the course of your career, which in the NFL is relatively brief. Right. And you say, well, why even waste my time? Why am I going to go? You know, I want to be a head coach. I have aspirations to be a head coach, but it's going to be a 20 year route right. to even be considered a coordinator. You know, I can't even get that position. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that probably dissuades a lot of people. Um, you know, some of those people may go towards the college ranks for opportunities, but even those opportunities in football aren't as great. Uh, there's some, but but not as great. So, um, but yeah, it's important to have in place someone that, that looks like you, that shows you that you indeed can get this thing done. And um, the NFL just hasn't done a, a good enough job of doing that or, you know, having people as examples of, you know, this is what you could be. And you mentioned Dion. Um <laughs> Tremendous job. <laughs> who would have ever guessed? <laughs> uh, who would have ever guessed? Uh, I love it. You right know, I, and, and, and but can Dion realistically get an opportunity elsewhere? Because, you know, Dion brings a bit of flamboyance to uh, the craft. And um, that might be a turnoff to an institution um, that is just so set in their ways. Like, I can't see a power five school saying, Hey, we're going to go with Dion and, and all the off the field stuff that he brings to coach our team. I just don't see that as being an option. I hope one day it can happen, but I don't, I, don't know. I would love to see him coach at FSU and I'm a Gator. So. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> it would you know, be awesome. You know, Jerry, uh, Brian brought up something about the players influence uh, in basketball and how that is one possible solution. I'm curious, you know, the, the heads of the players union in the NFL for years, I think it was Gene Upshaw. And then it went to Damara Smith. You have African-Americans that serve as heads of the players union. You have a majority of players. Do you think that in contract negotiation, c- contract negotiations, other labor union talks, there's an opportunity for the players together with the executive directors of the players union to say, you know what, make a change or we're not, I don't know what, I don't know if we're not taking the field or something, but I feel like there's an opportunity here for the players to be conscientious objectors and make a change. Well, why would they do that? Was they, when they see what happened to Colin Kaepernick. Exactly. You know, Colin Kaepernick and and Eric Reed, who I, you know, a guy who we, we talk about cap, and you can say maybe he was on the downside of his career, but he still could have played. But Reed was one of the top players at his position, and he never got a bite again because he took a knee next to, to Colin. And um, uh, I just think, like I said earlier, with money, guaranteed money, you have power. And the NFL Players Association, you know, their their leadership has been very vocal, Um but their players can't afford to make that stand because you get eliminated like Kaepernick and you may not never, you may never play this game again. And they, they are just so unwilling to take a risk. And I, I think that's the big issue. Now you start giving these guys, you know, five, six year guaranteed contracts where they can walk away at hundred million dollars. And you know, that's going to be on the table regardless of what you say, then you have the power to say it. And then you have the power in numbers. But until that happens in an NFL, that will never happen. It won't ever happen. Um, you know, their voices won't be as strong as, as, as the NBA. You know, to show you how um, quickly that, relatively quickly that changed in the NBA, um, you remember that Kareem always wanted to be a head coach and didn't even get a sniff. 
And he was not only probably the greatest underappreciated player of all time, but one of the most intellectually gifted human beings you'll ever listen to. And nobody even considered him for head coach. That would never happen today. That, that wouldn't happen today. Um, Kareem would definitely get an opportunity. You know, if you read, you know, Kareem has proven himself to be such a great writer now. And uh, he's so thoughtful in his presentations. Now, I will say, in my opinion, that probably the, the reason why Kareem um, didn't get a, a coaching opportunity, he was he was an aloof player on the court. And, you know, the media didn't get along with him. We didn't have a lot to say to people. He just went about his business. And I think that probably impacted uh, his opportunity to be a head coach. Now, with his mind, does he deserve to be a head coach? Yeah, probably absolutely. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that had he been a warmer individual during his playing days, that it could have turned out differently for him. You mean like Bill Belichick? My my guy Patrick Ewing didn't didn't get a shot in the NBA. He went back to Georgetown, and we're thankful for that at at, at Georgetown, of course. But uh, I did want to switch the topic just a little bit. We're here uh, on on episode forty two in the Jackie Robinson episode, and and we've touched on the decreasing participation uh, of black kids in baseball. What what's why is that? Do you have, do you have a thought on? As to why, I think it's like it was 20% at one point. It's down to like 7% in the majors now. But what's going on there? You know, I I, I, I did a series with Joe Adele, who plays outfield for the Angels, uh, about a year and a half ago. And, you know, I collaborated with him on the, on the weekly diary. And you know, he was telling me that there's just um, a lack of co- connection between the sport and getting players involved in neighborhoods. Sometimes it's in areas where... You don't have the facilities, you know, in, in baseball, uh, you know, you need a, some empty space with some cut grass out there and you need, you know, nine gloves for the players. and You need, you know, a, a, a lot of bats. And I think a lot of areas, they, they just don't have that. And uh, I think the RBI program that's in different urban areas is trying to address that. Uh, but it's it's very it's been very difficult to overcome. And I think with black players, they find what's attractive right now is that, you know, I can become probably more famous playing basketball. Uh, It's more of a social media following in basketball, more of a social media following in football than you have in baseball. And I I think that's a a big problem with it. And, you know, you mentioned Jackie Robinson and it was, it was great that he was able to integrate baseball. Um, And, you know, you have to look at kind of the downside of that integration is that, um, you know, it, it killed the Negro Leagues, which was popular in a lot of areas. And that, you know, they drew big fan bases out to those games. And um, that was decimated when Jackie Robinson came um, to Major League Baseball. You know, you look at the integration of college sports and the schools like Morgan State and, and Grambling and Jackson State. They, you know, the, the top players in the country stayed at these HBCUs, these historically black colleges and universities. And once the opportunity came to go to other institutions, you know, that kind of, not kind of, it did hurt their program. So, uh, you know, it's, it's that whole integration of sports has been a gift and a curse to one major league baseball players, I believe, and two to some of these uh, HBCU schools that can't attract the high profile kids to come play for them because you know, it, how can you compete at Howard University and playing in a gym that's 
25 years old when you go to University of Texas with a $235 million a year athletic budget and facilities that rival anything in professional sports, whether it's football or basketball. And it's just kind of hard. You know, it's easy for a kid to make a decision to be attracted to uh, the glamour than the history. Well, Michael Jordan didn't help because he became such an icon and so famous. So many, you know, young blacks wanted to emulate him and be like Mike. And that wasn't playing baseball on a sandlot. <laughs> yeah. And Mike didn't help the cause the way he played baseball. He played baseball. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey, hey, Jerry, let sure? me switch. I'm let me sure switch gears. Yeah. 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 Um, I follow you on social media and was really um, excited by your the fact that you got to interview John Carlos oh, yeah. recently. Uh, Tell us yeah. about that. That had to be a very cool experience. You know, it's, it's actually, I went to, I went out to San Jose State a couple of years ago. It may have been 2018 when, um, you know, John Carlos ran for the San Jose State track program. And that program dissolved over years. And so they brought it back in 2017, 2018. And I actually got out there and met him at that event. Uh, and it was it was just an honor to sit there and meet him. But when I found out that he was he was in town for uh, a college basketball game it was Michigan against, um, I think, Prairie View. And they had a panel discussion the day before that game. And when I found out that he was on the panel, I just had to to rush out and meet him. And, you know, s- such an honor to 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 talk to a guy who took a lot of risk in the 68 Olympics uh, by raising his hand and, and bringing attention to some problems that, that were happening within sports. And, you know, he lost a lot, you know, he had threats against him. Um, you know, he, he was to, considered to be, uh, you know, un-American in, in, in his actions, but he is as vocal as ever. Uh, and it was just an honor to meet him out there. Yeah. yeah I read that interview. He seems like he's as feisty as, oh, he is as he as was in 1968. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it was great. It was great. That must've been a really cool experience yeah. for you. Um, so anybody else, anyone have any questions? It's great to have you. This All is right, man. Yeah. discussion. This really, has been really, yeah, yeah I'm just going to say, Mike, man, you got the, you got the Knicks background. I'm still a believer. Last yeah. year, we came back and, and we made the playoffs and we looked pretty good. It's, it's been shaky this year, but I still have faith and hope. And uh, Jerry, Jerry, you can you can actually confirm something for us so that we've, we've been curious about. Phelan did go to college. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I, I tell you, I have a fondness for Jerry that he probably doesn't even realize. Uh, but I don't know if you remember. That we yeah I'd get, we were in college conservative period with a lot of conservative people, and I would be up there get, for Amnesty International and all this stuff, and there'd be like four people who showed up, and you were always one of them, and a uh, real calming influence. <laughs> I appreciated it. Yeah, you know we were gathering around campus around the mud building, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that was great times, you know. I. I went back to Ohio Wesleyan a couple of years ago. I was in town for a wedding and, you know, I, I, I just walked through campus and it just, I was put back to those days in 1980. Yeah. Yeah. How you just kind of go back to that era and you can remember things uh, being in that place. So uh, yeah, it was really great to get back on campus. So Phelan yeah. did not go to college in the fifties. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mike, these guys are harder. Than I know. I know. They're all jealous. That, they're all jealous that I still have my hair. 
Well, Is that why guys are wearing hats here? Is that the reason? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. All, it's oh, yeah. all up there. It's all up there. <laughs> yeah, sort of. Sort of. I, sh- <laughs> I shave my head every day. <laughs> it's a choice. It's a lifestyle <laughs> choice. Thanks for joining us, Jerry. Right, thank hey, you guys, so much, Jerry. Jerry. You guys have a great podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah. I really you know, appreciate you guys having me on anytime. Yeah. Just all right. You. Yeah, I'd love to. And keep up the good work. We really okay, do. Everybody enjoy follow your, Jerry uh, Bambri yeah. on the undefeated. Make sure yes. you follow yeah. Jerry. Yes. Absolutely. Get Absolutely. Now I'll let you guys know when the, the TV piece is going to air on Saturday. I'll, I'll, cool. I'll send Mike a message to let you know. When awesome. it's All right. Out. Please do. Please do. All right. Take care. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks Jerry. All right. What's that up? That was awesome. Rooster. All right. That was All great. Right. He's a good Rooster. dude. Thanks for doing nice that. Work, that was Rooster. awesome. He's really enjoyed that. That was awesome. Yeah. That was good stuff. Uh, that was that was. Really We're a legitimate awesome. podcast now, guys. It's a great opportunity to skip talking about Philadelphia sports. So thanks. Right. For like yeah, you, <laughs> you got away with one today. Yes, yeah. Jerry. Jerry yeah, saved you, you. That's right. That's right. So we we do want to pick up and and uh, you know obviously that was fun and that was something unique for us. Really lucky and again thanks to Mike uh, for setting that up. But. Um, Let's do talk just a little bit about the NFL this week. Uh, House, you want to you want to take us in? So, did you guys know that they the NFL hired the guy that produced the Survivor to produce the NFL? Because that's pretty much what the NFL has come down to at this point. Like seriously, who is going to survive the season? It is unbelievable. Um, you know, sorry to our, our uh, number one, number two overall fantasy picks, but scratch off CMC, scratch off Dalvin Cook. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I think we can scratch off the, the Cam Newton experiment. Um, well, well, Derek Henry that, was the third pick in our draft. Yeah, that's right. Boy, We're all gone. I, I really hope that betters are not forgetting about our locks. Please do not listen to our predictions about teams like – it was only a couple of weeks ago that Pope was had the Cowboys and the Packers in the NFC Championship, and a couple of weeks before that, that we were ready to bronze the Rams and give shine up the trophy for them. I mean, let's start there. Let's just start there. What the hell is going on with the Cowboys and the Rams? They're dumpster oh, fires. Uh, Pope, you're on well, mute. Well, he is well, speechless. I want to hear so from the Cowboy. Upset. Yeah, Talk I'll, to I'll, I'll take the I'll take the Cowboys. I mean, you know, Amari Cooper goes out with COVID because he's unvaccinated. And we were talking about how's that eventually going to impact. And that has had a big time impact on the team because I'm pretty sure he got other people uh, who have COVID as in our head coach who has COVID and will miss the Saints game, which means we might actually win. That might be the best thing for you. Right. Yeah, for sure. Part of the strategy with Amari out. And then we lost CD lamb to a concussion during the chiefs game. They've just been out of sync. Dak hadn't had the weapons that he needs. Obviously, Zeke, I don't know whether he's on the back end of his career or, you know, he's got a bum leg, but Tony Pollard is clearly a better runner right now uh, than Zeke. And uh, the defense is giving up points as in bunch. Um, So whatever the magic they had at the beginning of the year, they lost three of four. Uh, They need to get it back. Now their schedule is still pretty favorable, but – um, I, you know, Cowboy Packer NFC championship game looking a little shaky right now, uh, but there's still time. And, uh, I, I still have faith in this team. Thursday night's a huge game. They cannot go to saints, uh, and lose again. That'd be four of five. And then the, I think the wheels will be starting to come off at that point. 
And I think Matthew Stafford is really hurt and is just not telling anyone, but he's, mm. he's having uh, accuracy problems, which he normally does not. Well, the Packers are a good team. You're half right, Pope. Yeah. Right. And yesterday's, I mean, that's a tough game for the, any team to go to Green Bay and a, How'd you guys like that stat that I texted you about when Rodgers is ahead at halftime at now he's 73, one and one. And they were up by three points at halftime. I I hear you that I hear you that Karen Rodgers is good and the pack are tough and all that (laughs) stuff. But the Rams had like, you know, impenetrable fortress defense and they're, they're like a sieve right now. I mean, Uh 28 point Von Miller and all these guys, Aaron Donald, you know, Patrick Ramsey, what is going on with besides Stafford? What's going on with the Rams defense? It's not good. Were they 0 3 with Von Miller, aren't they? They can just, they can reload in the draft next year. Oh, no, they can't. Like for the next six years. Yeah. Not, not for the next six years. Right. Yeah. So, eh, not a good future. And they have a tough schedule, too. I mean, you got to win the Super Bowl. You went all in. Yeah. I mean, does this, does the quality of play, I mean, it just seems like there's no consistency and these teams are up and down, up and down. I mean, is this a is this a parody thing or does this have anything to do with the new preseason? Right? Mm. Wasn't this the first year where they had they had one less game? I mean, I know that was kind of a meaningless game, but but I don't know. Is there I mean, I'm just thinking about that right now. I haven't given a lot of thought, but is is there anything to that? I mean, it's just really weird. You, usually you have teams that are clicking by now. It doesn't seem like anyone is really clicking. Except for the, the Mac attack. Yeah, yes. True. That, yeah. that is in a row. That, they are clicking. That is that's Look. the story of the NFL season that Belichick literally took one year off with uh, Cam disastering at quarterback. He gets a first-round pick that everyone laughs at him for, and they're right back where they started. And I'll tell you – uh I know the Cowboys had one of the biggest ratings of all time in that Thanksgiving game against the Raiders, but you put Belichick against Brady in this year's Super Bowl, you can forget oh. about every every ratings thing ever. Uh, we're not making the Super Bowl. Uh, I don't know how anyone can say that the nine and two Packers are not clicking, or that the nine and two Cardinals are not clicking. They're eight and three. Who? Get it right. Who? Cardinals. Packers. Packers. Packers have three losses. Packers are nine and three. Yeah. Or nine, or nine and three, right? And the cards who, who had a buy are nine and two, I believe. Correct. Yeah, that's right. So they're clicking. They're beat up. I mean, yeah, they're going to need. Yeah. A, they're going to need a healthy Kyler Murray and a healthy DeAndre Hopkins. They've lost JJ Watt. I mean, they're going to need to be healthy to make yeah. a run. They're that's looking the oil problem. Look out! Look out for the 49ers in the West. They're coming on. They are coming. Except, on. except their their stud who set a pretty remarkable record. Debo Samuel is the first NFL wide receiver to score as a running on a running play in four consecutive games. I mean, he's a definite dual threat as both a runner and yeah. a receiver, but he's got a serious groin injury. He's going to yeah. be out. He's having an MRI today on his, on yeah. that, so we'll see. So what are you guys yeah. takeaways from this week? Who wants to go first? I'll go first. I've, I've got my uh, iron bowl champion hat on with, Oh the- God. And my, oh, my takeaway man. is that Tua Mania in, in uh, Miami could be real. 27 of 31. Uh, he is, you know, they've won four in a row. Um, there was some thought that Tua would not make it this year at all through the year. Uh, and he's come back strong. 
and as as has uh, Waddle. Um, so look out for for Tua. Look out for Mac uh, and and Adios Cam. It's been a good week for the for the uh, home team Alabama Crimson Tide. <laughs> you want to talk about Jalen Hurts? We we could talk about Jalen. I'll take I'll talk about Jalen Hurts because he's part of my takeaway. So I was watching the Buccaneers Colts game. Did you guys see we won that game? Congrats, Bill. Yeah, you're happy just, for you. I know y'all are all rooting for the Bucks, but Carson Wentz had an unbelievable first half, and he really played a great game. His, the loss was not his fault. Like you can't field a punt. I don't he know. Didn't how play to, a great second half though. It, it, a lot was not his fault. I mean, he had one one bad interception. One bad but, interception. I mean, did they but, forget they had Jonathan Taylor, the potential MVP? They finally and did, and then the, yeah. But I'm sitting there at the half, and he's thrown his third touchdown, and I'm thinking to myself as I look at the Eagles' score, and it's zero, and I'm like, "What the hell? Like, why? What did the?" And Toby, this is kind of a question for you. Like, what? Why? Why did they get rid of Carson Wentz? He is a really good quarterback, and I'm not real sure on Jalen Hurts maybe being in the NFL in the next three years. So it's it's a combination of ego uh, and people wanting to say, like, I'm right, you're wrong. And this narrative that gets written about injury prone players when the injuries weren't really they were fluke injuries. I mean, you know, when Jadavion Clowney spears at your head and that knocks you out, that doesn't make you injury prone. That makes you on the the raw end of a you know of a dirty play. I, oh, I agree with you. I, listen, most of the Philadelphia, believe it or not, they are not in favor of Carson. They're in favor, at least for now, of Jalen. I have always been on the Carson bandwagon. There's no question. As a passer, he is a better quarterback than Jalen. And guys, I don't know what you think, but I do think you need to throw the ball to be an effective quarterback in the NFL. Right. Right, right. Well, you, know, like you guys watch. Jackson? You guys watch Succession. Of course. Yeah. Logan said to uh, Ken behind. Yeah, Logan says to Ken, the reason that he's not ready for CEO is you have to be a killer. You're not a killer. I don't think Carson is a killer. I think he's a good, good quarterback. But with the game on the line in the fourth quarter, he's he just isn't a killer. He's He's, uh, you, you know, you're, you're just anticipating him turning the ball over at that stage of the game. Yeah, that's a fair point. My second, my second takeaway is I think we're, we're seeing a sad ending to Big Ben. Like, yeah, that was going to be my, that was my takeaway. What's take, sad about it? it? Just <laughs> it, like, I hope he doesn't want, no, right. You the love the Steelers, playing. what are you talking about? I don't, I don't love Big Ben. Yeah, like just please retire after the season. Like I hope he doesn't try to keep going because it's it's going fast. Father time it's, it's, is is up in the tenth, twelfth round, and he's going down. It's happening. They're moving on. It's happening. Speaking so, of moving on, Rooster, what's okay, your? So, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Bison. Well, I'll give you a takeaway. It's more of a question, but what is wrong with the Chargers? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, everyone's talking about the other L.A. team, but what is wrong with the Chargers? I mean, I think at one point we thought they had the next Joe Montana and uh, people were penciling them in for the Super Bowl. And now 
I mean, what is happening? The offensive line is horrible. It's like Swiss cheese. In that game uh, Sunday, um, Herbert was throwing rushed every every down. He was throwing off his back foot. He was trying to throw before he got hit. He he never got to set his feet and throw the ball. Their offensive line is like the Giants' offensive line. It's like a jailbreak every time it's a passing down. So you're saying I should throw away your your gambling bet for them to win the Super Bowl? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the two teams that should draft nothing but offensive linemen are the Chargers and the Giants. Well, my takeaway is that they need to change the Thanksgiving lineup. I mean, oh. I'm actually I'm actually oh, great. Yeah. I'm, I'm grateful for the I'm grateful for the Cowboys Raiders exciting game, but we gotta scratch this thing. You talk about white power owners that are taking over and dictating things. The Ford family needs to give it up and the Lions gotta get off Thanksgiving. Right. And I'm not so sure that the Cowboys should get one every single year too. And I guess uh, preseason the Bill Saints had a potentially good matchup, but yeah, that was a- they are they are really getting it wrong on the matchups on Thanksgiving, yeah. and that that tradition needs to change. That's so another thing the NBA does right. Every every Christmas, Christmas, they have a powerhouse lineup of about three four games that you just definitely want to see. You know, like the Lakers Celtics or whatever. Whoever's hot, they yeah. don't have crappy teams playing on Christmas ever. Right. Well, it's going to be hard for the Cowboys to give it up when they got the best regular season rating ever for that game on Thursday. Of course they did. Because They're everybody married. liked to see them lose. Right. Well, but that's good for rating. So and and they were they were going to get knocked out of the, that slot. They were happy to comply. I think yeah. some people just were Shit. ready to move on from their families. Not me, but I think some people just wanted to turn on the telly. My, <laughs> my takeaway take is that there is absolutely no way that a Super Bowl contender comes out of the AFC North. This this division is so <laughs> anemic. There's not one team in that division that puts together back-to-back good games. And as soon as anyone says one of these teams is good, you get a performance like you did out of the Browns, Steelers, and Ravens this weekend. Even though the Ravens won, they only won because they played the Browns, who's quarterback is so hurt they could only score 10 points i mean we all thought that lamar was the man a couple weeks ago and he throws three interceptions in the second quarter and then a fourth later in the game i mean he he, to toby's point you have to be able to throw the ball downfield in order to win as a quarterback and he cannot do it on certain days in baltimore other days he looks great. I just it, there's so much inconsistency in that division that they're never going to go far in the playoffs. All yeah, right, they've here's got what the we got. Look, we, right now we got some things we got to get done here, uh, starting with our locks. But I am putting us on a speed round to move through the rest of the agenda, fellas. We got to get through this. We're going to start. Let's go, uh, House. You got it with the uh, with the Plaxico locks. Okay, basically we all suck, but. We really need we, we uh-huh. need to be root, we need to be rooting for Milk at this point because Milk is four and seven and he's got the football team tonight minus one and a half. We we, uh, we need Milk tonight so that we can have some respectability because right now Rooster and I are two and ten. My God, uh, <laughs> that is well. <laughs> Pope Pope is three and nine. 
and Bison is a lusty 4-8 after last week's games. Uh, just so the fans know, Rooster and I took the Chargers, Pope took the Cowboys, uh, <laughs> Bison took the Vikings, but Milk has the football team, so by the time this is produced, maybe, maybe Milk gets close to 5-7, and seven, which I guess makes us a juggernaut, which would match the football team from last year. All right, so this week, uh, I'm going to start out to say that um, I guess I'm going to have this Tua mania. I'm going with the raging Dolphins, who are minus three home against that pathetic Giants team. I'm taking the Dolphins in week Uh, It's a a revenge pick. I'm with you. I'm with you, House. That's my pick. All right, Pope. We got the Dolphins. We got two on there. Who else wants Tua mania? I'm going with. I'm going against the Lions. There's the, the line is only minus seven. Vikings coming off a tough loss are going to take it out on the Lions. Will, will Kirk Cousins Ooh. find the center for a snap? Doesn't Ooh. matter. He's playing the Lions. They're playing the Lions. That. I loved that pick, Rooster. I'm got the Lions minus seven. Count it. You've got it too. You got the oh, Lions. No, I'm taking the Lions. He's taking the Lions. I'm taking the Vikings. I'm taking the opposite. I'm taking the opposite. He's He's taking the opposite. And in a get-right game, in a get-right game, the Rams cover over the Jags. Okay, we got notice nobody took the Eagles over the Jets. Hmm. No, by by the way, that's Rams. You might see Gardner Minshew this week. The Rams minus 13. Got it. Yeah. All right. Gardner. Yes. All right. All right. Next. Next up, uh, Milk. I believe there's some things in college football you wanted to address. Oh, are are we talking college football? Yeah. If you must. A lot is happening right now. We've got. Coaching changes that we need to discuss. Lincoln Riley just absolutely screwed Oklahoma, and he's heading to USC. I'd love everyone's thought on that. Why did he screw? Why is he screwing them? Well, he's scared it's just, of the SEC. It's I agree. It is. And he and he likes to make one hundred thirty-five million dollars over ten years. Yeah, I mean, why is he screwing? What does he owe Oklahoma? I mean, they wouldn't have fired him if he had a couple bad seasons. Well, it just it's very kind of Lane Kiffin reminiscent of him leaving Tennessee in the middle of the night and heading to USC. I think Oklahoma fans were like, what, what, why? You know, we win 10 games every year. We're all in the national championship picture every season. You're going to go to USC. But I don't disagree. If I'm Lincoln Riley, I'm sitting there going, I got to play in the SEC in a year. And probably I'm going to be put in the West Division. So I'm going to be playing Alabama every single season. Yeah, I'll go to USC and I'm in a, I'll be in a recruiting hotbed. And I'll I'd take a, a pay money. cut to move from Oklahoma to California. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes. I love it. Congratulations to Pope. If the stupid overtime rules weren't completely shady, they probably would have lost. But this two hey, now. This two-point conversion thing after three overtimes. That whole that, 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 that Look, needs if the to Auburn get thrown running out, back just doesn't go out of bounds. Alabama doesn't have enough time to drive. That's true. You got that is you true. Play, that you is gotta true. play Georgia now next weekend. So let's talk about that. If Georgia beats Alabama, since he's in, Michigan is in, that's gonna leave one spot. You gotta beat you Iowa. Got, I think Oklahoma State's gonna jump Notre Dame tonight. You have to, they just beat Oklahoma. You might have Michigan, Cincy, and Oklahoma State in the playoff this year. If you guys who think college football is boring don't like that, I don't know what else you want. George is going to smoke them all. 
about the only thing that would be interesting would would be Michigan and Notre Dame in the playoff at this point. If Michigan and Notre Dame, I mean, they could. I don't think so either. But that would be fun. No, that would you be old school. That would be fun. I, I thought the Michigan Ohio State game was fun to watch. Absolutely, really oh, that was awesome. Screw With the Ohio snow State. and everything. Yeah. And that snow was great. great. And they punched them in the face. Yep. But it will be a Michigan move for them to lose to Baylor this weekend. You mean <laughs> lose to Iowa? Iowa. Or Iowa, Iowa. Sorry. Uh, yeah, Iowa. No, but yeah. it'll be an Oklahoma State move for them to lose right, to Baylor. To lose fact, to Baylor. In fact, I think Baylor's going to win that game. Baylor's yeah. going to win that game. And that and that might open up a Notre Dame slot. There, um, then Notre Dame gets oh, God, but, And it's Nace's oh, worst gosh. nightmare. Let's let's talk about, and I realize, you know, that it's probably a remote possibility, but if Alabama wins, obviously Georgia's still in. Yes. And then and then chaos ensues. And is it is it possible that an Oklahoma State and a Michigan could knock Cincy out? I don't think you could knock Cincy out at this point. Then no. So Oklahoma State beats OU, and then they beat Baylor back to back top tens, and you're going to deny them one loss to over Cincy? Well, then 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 Toby Fallon and Nace will never watch college football ever again. Right, and they will lose half the fan That's base. That's true. How, how about when when Notre Dame when Notre Dame ends up in and Cincy's out, even though Notre Dame lost to Cincinnati? Now that that's, that would that's, be right. a crime. Oh yeah, exactly. They that's beat the they crime. beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame. Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like they have to go. They you have to put them. All in. right, Milk. Anything else you want to talk about on college football? No, I hate the Bill Billy Napier, whatever his name is, pick. Oh yes! Oh yeah! Congrats, Whatever. Louisiana. That's very, very sounds very University it's very of Louisiana esque. Milk, you just got the best that the Sun Belt Conference has to offer. You should be happy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Milk? I'm going to say this. You wanted the big name. Don't I did. I wanted the, Stoops to come back. Don't always look at the shiniest object. This might be a good thing. We've this tried this be before. I, I'm very, I'm cautiously optimistic. Apparently, he's a disciple of Satan, so you should be fine. So was Jim McElwain, and he was, he yep. was <laughs> making up fake death threats, and he got fired. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I All love right. your. I want Deion Sanders to go to Florida State. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that would be amazing. I love it. I would love that. I would love it. <laughs> what a train wreck that would be. Oh no, I'm all for it. Oh God! All right. Well, that gets us. Uh, that's enough talking about boring college football. Um, Come on, man! And with the local DBC news, Evan Kujay with a triumphant comeback. But tonight, don't call it a comeback. Pope, are we punching someone? Oh, we are punching someone who's been trying to throw a lot of punches uh, this week after he got punched. So there's a lot of a lot of punches going on. Um, you guys probably saw the uh, Le- LeBron James Isaiah Stewart uh, brawl uh, in the palace um, in Detroit earlier this week. LeBron was he was being locked basically from getting a rebound and, you know, it probably was a foul on Stewart and LeBron threw an elbow. Uh, I don't think he intentionally meant to do what he did, but he opened him, uh, Stewart up like a tomato can look, look one of, one of uh, Tyson's old, uh, tomato cans back in the day. 
a big old gash above the eye. He was spurting blood everywhere. Obviously, Stewart's pissed. He goes after LeBron once. They hold him back. He goes after LeBron twice. They hold him back. They're walking him out, and he breaks loose, and he goes after LeBron for a third time. And this time, my favorite part of it was DeAndre Jordan steps in the way and played the best defense he's had in years. So uh, <laughs> Stewart <laughs> was not able to get to LeBron because of DeAndre. And then he he broke loose in the tunnel, and they were concerned, like on the on the news, uh, I mean, on the radio cast, they were talking about how the Lakers should be concerned that Stewart would walk, run all the way down the tunnel and come back out and go after LeBron. So, I mean, yeah, it, it, was, it was a nasty cut. Um, LeBron should have probably been ejected for a flagrant two, but it wasn't intentional and Stewart just went nuts and he needs to control his temper. And for that, I punch him, uh, in the other eye in the left eye. And <laughs> that's my punch of the week. Uh, it looked intentional to me, that elbow. Oh, come on. I thought it was oh, an intentional. Well, took I'm a big, no, I'm, I'm no he took a big fan. swing with it. No, no I'm not, didn't take a big swing. That, that was incidental. But totally Stewart went totally mental. He went totally mental. The, the fact that he got two games for like a madman running around the court was crazy. He looked, yeah, he did. He lost his shit. It was <laughs> completely lost his shit. It, didn't it remind you of Malice in the Palace when Ron Artest went out yeah, to the uh, <laughs> fight was, the fans back in that 04? That was awesome. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Not everybody uh, can I, take a punch, man. <laughs> <That's> a, <laughs> well, right, Rooster. Rooster knows a thing or two. Oh God! All right. Well, maybe maybe a lasso to end the show. Barbecue sauce. House. You know, um, we all talk about how hard it is to repeat in sports. And so this week on the SMQBs, we are going to give a lasso and break new ground on this show as we give the lasso to an incredible athlete that repeated as defending champion in the national dog show. The Scottish deerhound Claire last week came to the city of brotherly love in Philadelphia and like her grandmother, Hickory, before, who wow. won Westminster in 2011, Claire brought it back for back-to-back. Let's see if the Bucks can pull off a Claire this year. I am giving the lasso to the Scottish Deerhound Claire. Way to go. Woof. I'm gonna <laughs> here, here, I thought we were wow. all of a sudden a legit podcast. Yeah, really. What happened? I'm going to start watching uh, college football now. I never thought we would talk about the last minister dog show. Wow. But it just happened. It just happened. Just happened. Ouch. It did. It did. Go, Claire. Did. Oh, wow. boy. Hey, right. hey, Bison, before um, we go, how are you? How surprised are you by the Max Scherzer deal? Well, I think, um, you know, I had that on here as, as sort of a quick hitter that, to mention. Um, I, you know, look, good for Max. Um, good for Max. He's he's a bulldog. He just wants to pitch and 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 win games. But man, that's a lot of money to be putting into a guy who's you know prone to break down. I mean, you know, even even in nineteen, remember he he missed a start in Game Five of the World Series because of neck spasms, and he hadn't pitched from like June seventh to August eighteenth that season. And then this year, 
you know, right when the team needed him the most, he wasn't able to come back and pitch. He's great. And he's probably going to have another great year, but four, I think that it was a four year contract. Three year deal. Three year deal. It was a three year deal. 130 million. My point though, is I think there are at least three, four contenders who would have paid him that. Why, why did he go to the Mets? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe he's won a World Series going back to back with another pitcher like Strasburg and, you know, Scherzer, like DeGrom and Scherzer. Like, that's mm. all you need is two two pitchers to win a seven game series. And they're the well, best. Well, the, best the Nats had a few has. hitters on that team, too. And the Mets don't really. Well, I don't know. I don't know about that. Well, I, the, I, the Dodgers are getting broken up, as you guys saw before the pod. Yeah. Seager, yeah. Seager's right. 100 big old contract with the Rangers. Another kind yeah. of take the money and not, not aspire to win. Move. Baseball is way more exciting in the off season than the regular season. The hot stove. Hey, I'm going to pour true. one out Pope, guys before Pope, we head you got out. the last word. Yeah. You got the last word. Pope. I'm going to pour one out uh, on my virtual background. I have Lee elder when he, uh, for the first time at the masters, the ceremonial tee shot, the first uh, day of the masters, they included him. Uh, he was the first African American to uh, be at the Masters in 1975. Uh, he had a great impact on golf uh, and, and society in general. Uh, very, very well respected. It's a huge loss. Um, I'm just glad that he was able to be included in the uh, ceremonial tee shot this year, um, knowing that he was so sick. Um, and I uh, would like to pour one out for uh, for Lee Elder. Lee Elder, and man. Here. To Lee Elder and, you know, before we, before we go, I think uh, we all know that we're going to dedicate this podcast to another lover of sports and um, someone who made uh, this podcast possible because he brought us Chris Nace. So this one's for Barry Nace. <laughs> the Barry. Um, Here's a great the Barry. sports man, a great man. Here's to Barry. Great Barry. life. Well hey, lived. Cheers. My dad spent a lot of nights falling asleep in front of whether it was the Wizards, the Caps, the Nats, or uh, or the football team. He he fell asleep to a lot of sporting games. So, but not listening to this podcast, apparently. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I like to a couple. That, I liked hearing that he did Philly's Dream Week. That made my day. That is so cool. He did. He yep. did. He did. That's awesome. And by the way, Nace, uh, the answer to the question earlier on text: if the Washington wins tonight. They're the seventh seed. Yeah. Let's yeah. go team. Uh, Let's go wow. team. They're uh, in the playoffs.
The SMQBs are Brian Bandwagon Pope, who hails from Dallas, Texas, and has never met a first-place team that he didn't have a personal connection to. Michael Rooster Phelan, hailing from Richmond, and who roots for teams from New York, or is it Boston? I can't remember which it was. One or the other. Also, Patrick Milk Michaeler from Tampa Bay, and he is still massively in love with Tom Brady and will never get over his man crush on the GOAT. Toby House Milrod, a long-suffering sports fan, hailing from Philadelphia, whose Eagles team, mm, they're still looking for another quarterback. And I am Chris Bison Nace, hailing from Washington, District of Champions. Thanks for listening.